Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Wonderful to see you. And uh, I want to share a couple things with you this morning. And, and really, this sermon comes down to the issue of pride and humility. Pride and humility. What, what are you proud about? What is it that's something you, you look in your life and, and you're, you're suddenly proud about it? You, you have a sense of ownership in it. You have a sense that this is what I have done. Now, don't tell me you don't have anything like that in your life. Because I think we all struggle with this in one sense. I remember uh, one church I was at, I, I used the word pride to describe my feelings for my children. They came running up to me afterwards and said, don't use the word pride. That's, that's sinful, that's wrong, and that's uh, not appropriate. You shouldn't use the word pride. Well, is that what we're talking about? I don't think so. But there is a sense when we take ownership of something or we take credit for something that we shouldn't, that we have stepped into a role that is not ours. Because our lives, why were we created? We're created to glorify the Lord. We're created uh, to reflect the image of Christ, of God himself, through us. And so there are certain things that we recognize that are all about him. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, He gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. About a, uh, over a year ago now, I went to the doctor, and I was wrestling with being tired. Y'all ever had that? I mean, it's all of a sudden you just you feel washed out all the time. I didn't know what was going on, and there was a couple different things. They found out that I had a ton of iron in my blood, and so uh, we had to, I've been giving blood in order to get rid of the iron because that's the only way you can do it. It was a really strange moment. Very few people have that. It was uh, a, a wonderful thing to find out at the age that we found it out because otherwise that iron's in your system, and it can be uh, deadly later on in life in your 60s and stuff. So I was, I was grateful to the Lord for that. That kind of saps your energy. The other thing we found out, amongst some of the other things, was that I had some kind of a bacteria. I picked it up from who knows where in the world. And this kind of bacteria is really insidious because what it does is when your white blood cells come to the rescue, right? The, the immune system trumpets the, the sound that there's something wrong and here comes the white blood cells and they come marching in in order to, to defend your body. This uh, little rascal actually joins the white blood cells and gets into the white blood cells and so your body doesn't know that it's there. That's fun. And the way it was described to me is, well, you, you go home at the end of the day and you sit down in your chair and everybody else wants to go do something and you basically say, no, you, y'all go ahead. I, I'm kind of tired. I'm, I don't feel up to that right now. And it was so funny because I had used those words so many times. Uh, my family wanted to do something and I'd say, oh, man, I'm just washed out. You all go ahead. It was like having a flu without any of the symptoms but the energy drain. So I've been on uh, an antibiotic for over a year. A lot of yogurt, a lot of yogurt. I like the yogurt, so that's a good thing. What do you got to do in order to get rid of something like that, right? You got to take an antibiotic. You got to take something because you got a problem. There's, there's something that has infected you. And I'm not contagious, by the way, so you can come up and hug me and you can, you know, you can do all that thing. I mean, it's okay. But see, we're infected with a problem. It's called sin. 
And I want to encourage you in something. I, I really believe God's grace is the solution here. God's grace is the solution. God's grace is, in effect, the antibiotic that helps us, gives us strength, gives us energy. And I want to encourage you in something deeper. God's grace is not just some philosophy. God's grace is Christ himself. Because grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. See, we have the opportunity of being indwelt by the Lord himself and to walk with him. And by God's grace, we move and we breathe and we have our being. It's, it's because of who God is. It's because of what Christ has done for us. And so every day for the believer is literally a day of thankfulness because we know that God is with us. God is living in us. That God is able to strengthen us. God is able to give us the spiritual energy and the wisdom and, and to guard us and all the different things that the Lord does in our lives, and then how he begins to reveal himself through us. It's a beautiful picture. But when we have pride, we're walking according to our old nature. When we walk in pride, what we're in effect saying is, we don't need the Lord. We're sufficient unto ourselves. Or we take credit for things that truly we shouldn't be taking credit for because really the, the reality of it is it's in Christ that those things have taken place. Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 25, we have a story, and, and it's really an interesting one. It's about Herod, um, and it's about Herod's pride. It's about Herod taking glory to himself when he shouldn't have. Now, this was a pattern with him. It's not something new. But this particular story is a story where God dealt with him on it in a very sobering way. So three things real quickly this morning. Provoke king, a proud attitude, and a prevailing word. A prevailing word. If you look back at the end of uh, Acts chapter 12, or excuse me, um, yeah, 12. He says, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Just to bring you up to speed and to remind you, this is Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, who had all the Bethlehem children murder the boys under two because he was trying to get rid of Christ, Jesus himself. He was the nephew of Herod Anibus who had John the Baptist beheaded. He has a wicked family. The Jews don't like him. He's playing politics here. He's trying to appease the Jews. And he has already beheaded James, the apostle. I would suggest to you that Herod is absolutely doing everything to obliterate the message of the gospel. He is denying the message of the gospel. He doesn't want to hear the message of the gospel. He doesn't want to listen to the message of the gospel. And he is already walking with a hardened heart in in pride, self-sufficiency. Because the essence of the gospel is that we are in need of Christ. We're in need of what Christ has done for us at the cross. We need his sacrifice. There's nothing that we can do good enough in order to achieve justification with God, to be made right with God. We can't do that in and of our own strength. The law is not a stepladder for us to somehow achieve glory, salvation. The law was given in order to reveal to us how desperately we are in need of a savior. Herod was rejecting that. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following deal with this in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And, and I'm going to just focus in on really two. One of the things that Paul writes to the Roman believers is that they refuse to give thanks and rather worship the creature rather than the creator. This story is about Herod receiving worship to himself. Adulation, glorification, and literally setting himself in a position that God alone deserves. And in Romans 1.22, Paul writes, professing to be wise, they became fools. Fools. I think that's a good description, biblically, of Herod. Verse 20 says, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. He was very angry with them. The word angry in our vernacular doesn't really do this justice. He was enraged to the point of going to war. (laughs) He was so angry with these people that he literally was ready to kill them. And so they had come because they knew that they were in danger here. They knew the authority and the power that Herod had over them. And they came to Herod and he wouldn't even see them. Well, they bribed Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They wanted to make sure that they could come in to Herod's presence in order to beg from him. That's the word ask. They were asking for peace. To beg from him that they would feed, that he would feed them, that there would be peace for them. People were obviously dependent upon Herod, the food supply. I think it's interesting because how would, how is Herod using his position, his title as king? Certainly not as a servant. Certainly not as a servant. He was using it in an authoritarian, dictatorial way. And he was the man. And he was going to be over these people, whether they liked it or not. And he was going to show them who was in charge. I think when we lose sight of what our purpose is, we place ourselves in danger of having an inflated view of ourselves. When we forget who we are in Christ and we we take ownership of things that really ultimately God alone deserves, when we put ourselves into positions where we forget why we've been created and what our purpose is and why we're here on this earth, which is to glorify God, that we are simply vessels through which God's life begins to be revealed, reflected through. His love begins to be seen. And we are here to serve one another because that's the heart of our king is to serve. And when we're rightly related with the Lord, then God will always lead us according to his character, which is love, which is beneficial to others in spite of the sacrifice that it costs us. When we forget what our position is, then we place ourselves in danger of having a prideful, arrogant view of who we really are. And that, folks, is a very dangerous place to be. Well, there's a provoked king, but there's also a proud attitude. You can see this, verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel. (laughs) He's dressing up for this one. In fact, Josephus, the historian, said that he had a silver robe. I mean, he wanted to be shining in all his glory. He wanted to make sure these people understood he was the king and they were not. 
He takes his seat on the rostrum and he begins delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. Now think about that. Herod is trying to support Judaism and show how faithful he is to Judaism by killing James, by potentially killing Peter, being thwarted by God's plan and purpose in that. Standing there, sitting there at this rostrum, in all his royalty, being told, you have the voice, not of a man, but of God. It's interesting. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Yuck. It's interesting that people were asking him for food and God struck him with some disease of the bowels that ate him up. We don't know whether they were literal worms or not. The idea is that he was eaten by a disease. It took him down. It ate him from the inside out. And folks, isn't that what pride does? Isn't that what pride does? When we forget why we've been created, we place ourselves in a position where we are arrogant, where we begin to take the place of God, and we begin to take glory unto ourselves that we do not deserve. And there is a cancer, so to speak. There's an infection from the inside that begins to eat the very heart of who we are out. And I want to tell you something. The only solution, the only answer to that is God's grace, Christ himself. Because all of us struggle with this. And if you say that you don't, well, (laughs) you probably maybe are struggling with it more than what you think. Herod receives this accolade, and as a result, he comes under the divine judgment of God. He receives glory to himself. He doesn't give God the glory. He's rejected the gospel He gives no credit to God for releasing Peter. The Lord gave him an opportunity to see his divine intervention, to recognize that he was going in the wrong direction, and he refused to listen to that. He refused to acknowledge that. Let me ask you this. What have we taken pride in? What have we accepted credit for rather than giving God the glory? See, that's a pretty profound and difficult thing. Because in our culture, we love to take credit for things. Our flesh loves it, but our culture feeds it. We love to say, look what we have done. Look what we're responsible for. And boy, do we got to be careful about that. Are we receiving glory to ourselves that we should be deflecting and giving to the Lord? How are we walking in humility? How are we acknowledging that the Lord himself is who deserves the credit? I remember reading about Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a tremendous preacher. I'm sure you've heard of him. And the story goes that one particular Sunday, I believe it was a Sunday, he got off the stage. He had preached an amazing message. The Lord had worked in a tremendous way in the congregation. 
He came off the stage, and there was an individual that had come running to him in order to tell him what a great job he had done. Oh, that was the best message I've ever heard in my life. I just wanted to be the first to tell you. (laughs) And Spurgeon, never one for a loss for words, looked at this individual and said, actually, somebody already did. Think about that. Satan can lie to us. Satan can try to trick us. Satan can try to make us think that we are deserving of credit for something that really ultimately we ought to be giving credit to the Lord for. And our flesh loves that. Our flesh loves credit for things. We need to be careful about that. Is it wrong to applaud when good things happen? Is it wrong to say, praise the Lord, we were able as a church body, as individuals within K groups to give to Turkey? Of course not. To give to Albuquerque Rescue Mission and and provide something thankful. But let's give God the glory first and foremost. Amen? That's the point. When we talk about this church and we talk about what God's doing through this church and we talk about the, the opportunities that we have to walk with God in the midst of what he's doing and all the different ways that that takes place, whether it's Burma, Uganda, Jerusalem, Romania, I don't care where it is, whether it's across the street with your neighbors, whether it's right in your family, let's give God the credit. Let's give God the glory because he alone deserves it. We get to be a part of what God is doing. Let's not take ownership of something and receive glory to ourselves that God ultimately deserves. We can encourage one another. We can stimulate one another to good deeds. We can praise God for what we see God doing in and through one another. But let's be careful not to take glory to ourselves. Let's give God the glory because God deserves the credit because it's ultimately from him. I think verse 24 is such a beautiful picture. The word of the Lord continued to grow, but the word of the Lord continued to grow. In spite of what Herod was trying to do, in spite of him trying to stamp out Christianity, he had already killed James, he had imprisoned Peter, there was a threat now again to this church. The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. The word grow here is a beautiful picture because it is the growth that comes from God. It is a growth that comes from God. It is not the growth as a result of man. It is God working in and through man in order to achieve his purposes. The reason anything grows when it's of spiritual significance is because of the life of Christ, because of Christ himself and God himself causing the growth. The fact that there was multiplication is not because of anything other than Christ himself using his word through his people in order to make sure that the word of God was spreading. Remember, the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the continued Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through the church. We saw what he did in Luke when he was here on this earth, when he ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sends his spirit into each and every one of us. And now we have a record of how he continued to work through his people. What a beautiful picture. He deserves the glory I can't find anywhere in the book of Acts or anywhere in the New Testament where anybody was taking credit for anything of spiritual significance to themselves. 
Paul, embarrassed, says, this is what I've done, but if I boast, I boast in Christ because it's the grace of God who has done this in and through me. Over and over and over again, we have the picture of God at work through his people. Let's be careful not to take credit, not to give glory to ourselves, and to take it away from God. Let's be careful not to walk in spiritual pride, but rather in humility, recognizing that the Lord goes first. The Lord deserves the credit. We're dependent upon him for everything. I just want to share a few things with you about humility and pride. Humility and pride. There's some devastating verses on this. The Lord is opposed to the proud, to the haughty. Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Now listen to this. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Wow. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 and following. Let me read this for you. If you have your Bible, turn to it. I, I sometimes fail to mention that, but please, love to hear the pages. I know the internet or whatever. The, I have it on my phone too. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Sounds like Herod, doesn't it? Verse 16, he says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Listen to this. Haughty eyes, arrogance, a wrong understanding of who we are, what we've been created for, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates those things. Contrast that with the humility of Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 2, perhaps the greatest picture of Christ in the sense of his humility in the New Testament. His willingness to come to this earth, take on the form of a man, to even go to the cross and die so that we might have life to entrust himself to the Father and the Father's plan willingly, even though it cost him his life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, with an attitude of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. (laughs) That's an amazing statement, isn't it? I, I have a feeling that 99.999% of all church issues anywhere, everywhere are solved right there. Right there. Why is there divisions? Why is there factions? Why is there problems within any body of believers? It's usually because we have an agenda. It's usually because we have something that we want and we perceive that other people are getting in the way or not following in order to accomplish what we want. In other words, we have our own selfish interests in mind. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That causes a little bit of confusion. Did Jesus know that he's God? Yes, I believe that he absolutely knew that he was the son of God, the son of man. He knew that he was the Messiah. He knew exactly who his father was. He knew exactly who he was. What he's really saying here, the technical wording of this, is he did not regard equality with God a thing to be robbed, stolen. When Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father, he was not robbing the identity from God and stealing it for himself. He was absolutely correct in saying that I and the Father are one. But in spite of the fact that he is God... What did he do? He did not regard equality with God a thing to be robbed, to be stolen, but rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Humble yourself. Defer to the Lord. Acknowledge his leadership. Acknowledge his leading. Acknowledge him as being first in everything so that he receives the glory. And God will exalt us at the right time. Matthew 23, verses 11 through 12 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Isn't that an amazing picture? You die to self, you have life. You humble yourself, and guess what? The Lord says, I'll lift you up. It's remarkable. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Or 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the power of God, his mighty power, that he may exalt you at the proper time, at his time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Wow. In the midst of life, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Trust him. Walk with him. Defer to him. Don't take glory to yourself. Don't steal from God something that's not yours, not mine. Give it credit where credit is due. Worship the Lord with your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. Make sure that God is the one who comes first in everything. There's a wonderful chart that Nancy Lee DeMoss put together. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nancy Lee DeMoss. I love this chart. Because she contrasts, she compares and contrasts proud people and broken people. Proud people and broken people. What does it mean to walk with human? What does it look like when we're saying we're walking with the Lord? We're walking in his life, giving deference to him, putting him first in all things. 
Proud people. Here's a description of proud people. Proud people focus on the failure of others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people have a critical fault-finding spirit, looking at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but their own with a telescope, versus broken people, humble people, who are compassionate, can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven. Proud people are self-righteous. They look down on others. Broken people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people are independent. They have a self-sufficient spirit. We can do this on our own. We don't need anybody else. Broken people have a dependent spirit. They recognize a need for others. Proud people have to prove they are right. They claim their rights. They have a demanding spirit. Broken people are willing to yield the right to be right. Oh, that one hurts me. Willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people, self-protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. Broken people are self-denying. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people are motivated to serve others. Proud people desire to be a success. Broken people, humble people are motivated to be faithful and to make others a success. Proud people have a drive to be recognized and appreciated. Broken people, humble people have a sense of their own unworthiness, thrilled that God would use them at all. Proud people are wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked. Broken people have a sense of their own unworthiness, thrilled that God would use them. Excuse me, eager for others to get the credit, rejoice when others are lifted up. Proud people have a subconscious feeling that this ministry is privileged to have me and my gifts. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Broken people, their hard attitude is, I don't deserve to have a part of this ministry. Wow. Lastly, proud people think of what they can do for God. Broken people know they have nothing to offer God except Jesus flowing through their broken lives. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.